Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here on a Tuesday. We are officially at the start of training camp for the 2021 season. It's hard to believe free agency has just been completed. The NBA draft is just in the rear vision mirror, and we are already at training camp. So uh, it's going to be a fun week on the show because we are going to get the chance to talk to the players throughout the week. They're not having a traditional media day. It's going to be a media week uh, all via Zoom, which again, you guys know I like to brag about the fact that I have to get up uh, at all hours of the night. But I'm going to be working night shift this week covering media week uh, with the Bucks for this show uh, and elsewhere. So stay tuned to hear anything that comes out of the Bucks practice facility this week as the players get back in the arena. And also, Giannis back in Milwaukee as well. So at some point, we are going to hear from him. Uh, as I kind of pointed to what I assumed was going to be the case, there is some reports out today that he is going to meet with ownership at some point. And then reality is we're either going to hear something or we are not going to hear something. So clearly, that is still front and center on everyone's mind as we get close uh, to the deadline for that Supermax extension to be eligible to be uh, made, to be signed, which, of course, is December 21st. Joining me now on the show is not only a friend of mine, but one of the best in the business when it comes to covering the NBA. He's been doing it with NBA.com for a long time. Steve Ashburner, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kane. Uh, great to talk with you. Miss, miss you up here in the uh, increasingly chilly <laughs> Midwest at this time of year, you know, the, this, this northern hemisphere. Yeah, well, when I left the U.S. pretty quickly back in March, and I, I left a lot of my jackets uh, back in Milwaukee. They're still sitting there <laughs> waiting for me, and I, I felt pretty confident that I wasn't going to need uh, those heavy jackets here in Australia, and I, I haven't missed them to this point. But we were just briefly talking before we started recording here about uh, this NBA season. It's going to be strange about the offseason a little bit. So I guess uh, I've got you here to talk about Andrew Bogut, who announced his retirement today, and we are going to talk about Bogut a little bit here. But how have you viewed the offseason for the East? This is something we've been discussing a little bit on the show, but uh, it's kind of strange to look at all the contenders in the East, and there's still a bunch of them that probably consider themselves in that category. But none of them, to me anyway, at least have made uh, you know, major moves that have catapulted them ahead of anyone else. I tend to agree with that. I mean, if I were grading the, uh, the upgrades that the teams in the East made, I would give probably the highest mark to the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think that they have uh, a more legitimate team now around uh, Trey Young in particular um, for his, his talents to play out, not just scoring the ball constantly, but also uh, making the most of teammates. On the other hand, when you look at where Atlanta was last season, they could make the most significant jump in the East, and they still might have trouble getting in the playoffs. 
So, you know, they face sort of a play-in tournament situation. So, yeah, I'm not sure that any of the contenders um, or, or pseudo-contenders has done anything to put itself above the others. Uh, that includes the Bucks, uh, but certainly, you know, Boston losing Gordon Hayward is a blow. Um, you know, Toronto losing Ibaka. Uh, you know, there's, there's steps forward and steps backward for many of these teams. So uh, I think the East will be extremely competitive. Um, Charlotte and Atlanta might be the teams that are looking at a playing situation. And then the, um, you know, the six or seven teams above them would be uh, uh, very familiar from, from last year's standings. With that in mind, I, I, we've discussed this uh, in person when we've been at games over the course of the last two seasons in regards to Eric Bledsoe. And I know every single time we had a conversation, well, what do you think the Bucks are going to do in the postseason? A lot of the times it came down to, well, I, I wonder what Eric Bledsoe is going to do in the playoffs. I mean, that was the conversation that everyone had. So despite the fact that uh, I would describe it as a kind of a messy offseason for the Bucks, uh, they still acquired Drew Holiday. Uh, and that is, I, I think, most people accept as a significant upgrade on Eric Bledsoe based on the fact that you think you know that you will get a more consistent level of play in the postseason. So as far as Milwaukee goes and what we, we know we've seen in the past, do you see that as a significant move as many have projected it to be? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that, um, you know, there was speculation about, you know, many changes that the Bucks might want to consider when they essentially ran back the um, the 2019 postseason, um, you know, the, the the loss to Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then ran back that in the postseason from this year in the bubble without seemingly a lot of adjustments. And I mean, people even speculated about Mike Budenholzer and whether he should be brought back and given another chance. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, to me, he, he was an obvious change that was crying out to be made. You know, the old saying of uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I mean, we, we all thought, okay, Bledsoe, he gets it now. He, he sees how important he is to this team and its, its ability to advance in the playoffs. And he will have gotten some nerves or inexperience or whatever you want to call it or attribute it to out of him. And he came back and he was unreliable again. And I think it would have been uh, not just difficult, but almost demoralizing to start another season and you know, hoping and praying that Eric Bledsoe will respond at the proper time of year. And so, you know, this team, I think this roster needed change for its mood, its mentality, for its outlook, and, and a little bit of uh, optimism compared to, you know, what, what, they, what they ended the, the past two postseasons with. Um, Going to all happen really fast this year. Um, but it's not like there's a lot of uh, dead time or dog days for them to worry about the playoffs. But still, I think the changes are significant. Um, ultimately, rise or fall, it will depend on how Giannis feels about them that, uh, that really matters. Yeah, you mentioned Mark Budenholzer. And uh, listen, I mean, we can say this guy is a fantastic coach. His record speaks for itself. But unfortunately, he hasn't been able to get over the hump in the postseason. And that's for a number of reasons. But I, I think... One of the things that we've noticed watching this team so closely is that the way that they've won in the past two regular seasons has been very similar. And the way that they've lost in the past two postseasons has been very similar as well. So do you expect, because I thought coming into the 2020 season, the Bucks might actually 
uh, drop back a, a few games, not win perhaps 60 games or be on the pace that, that they were on. And they might value adjustments in the postseason. They might value having a, a clear plan B or a plan C uh, to run into the postseason. And we kind of saw the opposite of that. They just got the ball to Giannis. He ran through everyone in the regular season and they were on pace for 70 wins most of the time and then again fell short in the postseason. So how much of the Bucks' growth could be put down to coaching, do you think, this year? Well, I think it's going to play a big role. And, you know, but as we just talked about, um, we won't really know until they get into the playoffs, until, until we see how they match up. Because I think, um, you know, my, my personal theory on, on how the Bucks have fared regular season versus postseason uh, has been that sometimes when you're a unicorn type of team, when you are strikingly different from the average NBA team, and, and I think back to George Carl's Seattle Supersonics in the 90s, where, I mean, they, they almost alone in the league at that point, they were switching everything defensively. It became a very difficult uh, team uh, to run your offense against. And when you're hitting that team on a five-game West Coast trip on a random Thursday night in January, you know, there's only so much game planning you can do. And, and so you're at a disadvantage. But when you catch that team then for two weeks straight, up to seven games, and you have the opportunity with days in between to, to adjust and lock in to a game plan, I think it becomes a very different opponent. And, and, you know, those teams only reached a certain level. They got to the finals one time, that Sonics team in particular. And I think the Bucks, you know, to me with Giannis as the point forward and, and the way they shoot the threes and def- defend the threes, it was a certain style. And the Bucks got maximum mileage out of it during the regular season. And yet when a very good playoff opponent was able to, you know, go at them, Game after game after game, um, I think that their their style uh, just could not get it done. So what we can see, I mean, we won't know if it's going to change the playoff outcome, but if we see variations in how Budenholzer coaches, how they defend, uh, you know, the, the, the mid-range shots or the, the actually three-point shots. I mean, I used to – I remember one time I asked Bud last season, you know, you pretty much let teams shoot three-pointers at will and you just sort of play the percentages. And he took a little bit of umbrage at that. But um, it seems to be sort of baked into their philosophy that we're going to shoot three-pointers better than the, than the other team and we're going to protect the rim and um, we're going to rely on Giannis. And, and I almost think their, their improvement to me this season will be based on how much Budenholzer adjusts and changes up the style and, and with new players on the roster, there's an opportunity to do that. Um, you don't even have to admit you were wrong before, uh, you know, to, to say, well, we're going to do things now with Drew Holiday that we didn't do with Eric Bledsoe and, and right on down the line. But I also think that Giannis and, and the areas for improvement in his game, um, he just needs to have a reliable jump shot. I, this, whole, this whole thing about him putting up X amount of three-pointers per game, you're, you're, you're playing right into the, the defense's hands when Giannis, you know, lines up his three-pointer and sort of peeks over the, the edge of the rim and, and hoists that thing. I mean, if he can just hit jump shots from various spots in, inside the three-point uh, line, I think that that could make a world of difference and make him more of a threat. So he has, he has room to grow. I mean, he's the guy who's in the, uh, uh, the driver's seat for this franchise's short and long-term future, but he's not a perfect player. I, I think he is – 
willing and able to make the changes and improve um, maybe the whole virus and bubble situation uh, got in the way of things when they came back uh, from the shutdown. So with him overseas so much of uh, this very quick off season, perhaps he's had an opportunity to do some real improvement. Yeah, to your point about the fact that things change from the middle of January and the middle of the regular season to the postseason, uh, as well as teams being able to scheme for the Bucks, I think we saw guys like, yes, Giannis and Pat Connaughton and some of these other, uh, I would say, below average shooters. It's different when you're winning by 20 points in January in a regular season game and when you're in the <laughs> second round of the postseason as well. Uh, we were both on the call with John Horst a couple of weeks ago before the draft, and he said that we're looking for shooting that translates to the postseason. I do get the sense that they have, uh, I'm not going to say uh, given up on defense, but some of the acquisitions, when you think DJ Augustine, Bryn Forbes, even Bobby Portis, guys that can shoot the ball better than guys that they've had, but certainly don't defend to the same level as some of those guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think one of the fascinating things for Bucks fans this year will be that, as you sort of pointed to, you're going to have to wait until the postseason to really find out any answers as to how this team has grown or how they are equipped uh, to fare in the postseason. So it's going to be fascinating to see. All right, Ash, let me quickly talk about Built Go here now. Uh, because if you need to break through your wall, whether it is uh, getting up at all hours to interview Milwaukee Bucks players or it's getting through your workday or getting through your workout, there is no better way to do it than with Built Go, which is the best workout gel on the market. It's five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's definitely better for the body. Basically, it's like drinking one of those monster drinks, but it only has a third of the caffeine and you get better results. There's three delicious flavors that I have tried them all. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Uh, really, uh, I can't recommend this product enough. Uh, it's, it's been fantastic for me. I use it before I run, uh, and, and it really helps me get through the workout feeling good and not feeling uh, too fatigued before or during. We've got a great deal for you guys. Go to builtgo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED. That's L-O-C-K. ED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Coming up this week on Locked on Bucks, as I already hinted to, we are going to be talking to the Milwaukee Bucks players. So you're going to hear all the key takeaways from uh, player availability throughout the week as Bucks training camp gets started, but also keep an eye out for the mailbag episodes that we're going to have so we've already taken a bunch of questions from the listeners so far you can get it uh, get us on twitter at locked on bucks you can get me at kane Pittman. send your questions through you'll see the tweet that is there and if you don't have twitter that's fine you can email through to locked on bucks at gmail.com and frank who still uh, refuses to give me the password will be able to pass that on and we'll hit all those questions here uh, we're looking to do uh, several mailbag episodes before the season starts so if you've sent a question through we will get to it uh, and that's of course coming up this week as far as today's show and why i originally messaged you andrew bogut former number one overall pick 2005 nba draft obviously a fellow countryman of mine uh, started his own podcast which by the way i, I found kind of fascinating he's been very uh, vocal about uh, everyone starting a podcast and now he's got his own and he announced his retirement on the first uh, episode this morning. I guess I don't really know where to start here because he was a guy that 
clearly was polarizing, I think, with fans in Milwaukee based on the fact that he was a number one, number one overall pick. But how do you think he ultimately played into those narratives or expectations as a number one pick over the course of his career, which uh, really, I mean, you have to look at it. He had a fantastic career. Is it where the expectations of some people expect a number one pick to be? I'm not sure. Through, right. through reasons that weren't all his own fault, mind you. But how would you look back on, on Andrew Bogut's career? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, when, when you're number one pick, you have outsized expectations on you. And you are, you are assumed to be a future, I don't want to say Hall of Famer, that's, that's stretching it, but an all-star and an all-NBA player. Um, Bogut made it onto an all-NBA third team. He was an all-rookie uh, pick. He was an all-defensive player once. He was never an all-star. I think for a number one uh, pick in a, in a vacuum, that's, that's a little disappointing. And then when you factor in that, you know, some, a potential Hall of Famer in Chris Paul was in that draft, drafted three spots after Andrew. Um, you had other notable players like um, Darren Williams, you know, very useful player for quite a long time. Um, he was actually drafted ahead of Chris Paul, and that too proved to be a mistake. Um, you know, it, it dropped off after that. I get it. But, I mean, Danny Granger and um, Jill Green, who I think has been playing most recently. So most drafts don't have um, remarkable depth, but when you have somebody like Chris Paul and you're drafted ahead of him, that's going to be kind of on your back for, for much of your career. I thought Bogut – did for Milwaukee and ultimately he did for the other teams for which he played, except maybe Cleveland, um, what, what uh, they wanted him to do. Um, you know, the Bucks improved. They got into the playoffs in his rookie year. I think that, you know, that was helpful. That was a team that really was, you know, it was a different NBA then. And that was a team that needed help in the middle. They had Dan Gazarich. Um, they had, um, trying to think who was, was Zaza, I think was, uh, a young player with the Bucks team the season before Andrew got there. So he got there and, and, you know, was, he wasn't, he was just short of a, a double, double guy, uh, you know, and like nine plus points and eight plus rebounds and a defensive presence and a very good passer. Um, the Bucks were built, you know, on Michael Red scoring at that point and they had drafted high, um, a year or two before, um, a point guard in T.J. Ford, who then suffered a, a debilitating injury, but they were, you know, they brought him back, and, and he was still part of things. So I thought I think uh, Bogut did what that team wanted him to do. He just never quite became a star, and um, I, I thought he was extremely popular in Milwaukee. I think that you know anybody that works the way he does and 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 cleans the glass and and uh, shares the ball. Um, and is, you know, a, a great interview. I mean, that's one of the things I enjoyed most about him is he was just a go-to guy. Anytime I walked into one of his locker rooms, um, you're going to do well with, with, with the Milwaukee Bucks fans. So I thought that part all worked out fine. I think, and again, we all look at the stats and, and as you sort of pointed to uh, over the course of his career, particularly late when he really wasn't a scorer for those Warriors teams, but still played such a vital role defensively. But even with the Bucks, he topped out at 15.9 points during the 2010 season, which we'll get to in a little bit. But he was really always such an unselfish player. And I think that he had an ability to make other guys better. And when you think about that 2010 team, which ultimately ended in that horrific arm injury when he was really 
playing the best ball of his career. I know that season he finished averaging 15.9 points and 10 rebounds, but in the months leading up to that, he was genuinely a 20 and 10 guy and he was getting you two to three blocks a night as well. I mean, he was doing it yeah. on both ends. And I really think he, he was the guy that, that helped Brandon Jennings and, yes, helped John Salmons when he came into the team as well. He's a guy you can throw the ball at the top. He can find cutters. Uh, he, can, he can set him up with dribble handoffs. He helped the guards get better. He's a really good screener. So he was kind of a player that I still think is going to be underrated when people look back at his career because you will look at the numbers and say, oh, well, that's, that's not too... That's not too uh, impressive there. Nine points and eight rebounds over the course of your career. But he did so much more that wasn't recorded. Yep, yep. I mean, as you noted, I mean, three, well, what? Six straight seasons averaging above 10 points, double figures in scoring. Three of those years, he was a uh, a double-double guy with, with uh, rebounds as, as high as 11.1 in in the uh, the season after his injury. Mm. Um uh, oh no! Excuse me. The, was that the easy? Yeah, that was after his injury. And so, um, I think the um, I think the verdict on on Bogut is, you know, very good player. That um, I think the injury disrupted his career with the Bucks. Um, it had a lot of people guessing, you know, whether he would be uh, available to play effectively and and be durable enough long term. And then they felt they needed scoring and and package, you know, put him in a deal for for Monte Ellis. And, uh, you know, that, that, I thought that was a poor deal to begin with. Ellis ever really um, established himself as anything other than a gunner and uh, certainly not a team player like Bogut. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, Andrew played the, the tooth, what, that's 60% of his career with the Bucks, and I, and I, I think it was successful. Yeah, it's interesting. We had him on, on this show going back about a year ago now. And even he said at the point of the trade, he was probably ready to get out of Milwaukee. He'd been there for a long time. He probably wanted a fresh start. I don't think that he could have predicted that it would have ended up being such a good fit that it was on those Warriors teams. But I do think that uh, the unfortunate thing for Bucks fans is that I talk about that season where he was becoming that 20-10 and 10 guy, running the offense, anchoring the defense. He was only 25, and that's that's the thing that's, that's kind of hard to, to believe when you look back at that. I mean, he was really coming into his prime and becoming a player that maybe you would have looked back and said, oh, wow, this guy was a 20-10 and 10 guy for four or five years in his career in Milwaukee, and, and really, right from the start, whether it was back injuries, I know he had some problems with migraines as well, and then the legs started to fail him and the arm. I mean, the, the injury record for this guy is quite remarkable. Well, that's right. Um, and I think his value was evident once he got to Golden State. I mean, they, you know, he was there from the transition from Mark Jackson, who was a, a defensive-minded coach as much as he could be with that roster, and Andrew suited his style that way. And was when Steve Kerr took over, I mean, he had Andrew as a, you know, as a, as a passing big man, and that worked well for the style he wanted to play. So he was not um, – now, he was comfortable under both those guys in Golden State, and I think that his acquisition by that team, you know, was one of the milestones on their way to becoming, you know, that outrageous contender that we saw for five straight years. Uh, before we look to wrap this up, uh, I know you tweeted about uh, him being a great interview, and you mentioned it earlier here. Uh, what do you remember about Bogut the person? Because I've certainly found out in the last sort of two, three, four years of me doing this kind of work, uh, uh, if you ever want the truth or if you ever want someone that's just going to tell you straight up what they're thinking, 
there's not many that are better to speak to than Andrew Bogan. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it's one thing for people to tell you things, you know, hush, hush, off the record, uh, not for not for attribution. But uh, Bogut, when he believed things and, and uh, felt there was something to say, he would say it and he wouldn't, he wouldn't back away from it. He'd put his name to it. I also enjoyed the fact that you can talk to him about lots of different things. Yeah. And, and you sidle up to him during a pregame, you know, uh, locker room setting. And you could talk about the day's headlines. You could talk about something culturally. I just found him, a, you know, a real uh, affable and, and um, uh, a friendly presence with a, with a real curious mind. And I think that his, his um, social media feeds, uh, it's evident as well. If you want to get basketball smart, it starts with listening to the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. NBA analytics pioneer and front office insider John Hollinger joins Dunked On podcast host Nate Duncan to bring you scouting reports, game breakdowns, and salary cap analysis. Subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan today wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I remember one of the first times I spoke to him, I can't remember what I brought up, but he disagreed with something I said. And I don't think that I've had an interview with, with someone that just straight up basically told me he thought I was, I was talking rubbish or something like that, but he did that. <laughs> and then we continued on and it wasn't a problem. And that's something that I, I will say that I've always respected with him. I mean, he's not afraid to tell you that he will disagree with something, but then uh, he will carry on and the interview will move on. And that's one thing that he's always been open with doing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, you know, I guess maybe it's stereotyping a little bit, but I have found that uh, international players overall, um, the odds are are better than average that uh, the player, assuming the the language barrier isn't going to be a big issue, I just find that they're approachable and have varied interests and um, maybe just have a, a, a wider outlook on life than, you know, those of us who are entirely from the States. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of that has to do with the pathways to basketball and not coming up being a superstar or a huge marquee name. I think that plays into that a little bit, but uh, I have probably found that a, a bit myself as well. Although maybe, maybe I'm not the best to talk about it when I talk to the Australian. No, I think people just generally... respond to your accent. <laughs> well, well, the Aussie <laughs> players are generally pretty friendly to me. I'll say that. I have to give them uh, credit for that. But Ash... Really appreciate you taking the time on, on sort of late notice here. I, I flicked you a message just after Andrew Bogut made this announcement. I thought it would be a good time to catch up. Uh, last one for you. As training camp literally begins, I, I guess today, as most people are listening to this podcast, uh, December 1st, are you ready? Short off-season, are you ready to cover another season here and what is going to be uh, a strange one? Although maybe we are starting to get used to doing everything via Zoom. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, some of the writers were talking today uh, that we hope the league doesn't get too comfortable with this yeah. Zoom situation because, you know, ultimately you're best when you have your feet on the ground where the games are, eyes and ears in the building, an opportunity to talk uh, you know, to, to a variety of people by just sort of walking up to them and, and, and renewing acquaintances. This, this formality and shared availability of everything on Zoom and everybody has – you know, it's like trying to show off your skills as a, as a cook when everybody's got the same groceries to work with. It's a little trickier. So I think um, we'll all welcome a return to whatever as close we can get to the old normal. But um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, to have some, some grist for the mill, it's always better than just sort of sitting around and trying to think up some think pieces to do <laughs> off-season content for a site that's dependent on NBA coverage. You know, when I used to work for newspapers, if the NBA wasn't in session, you know, you, you just go away, you kind of hide and let football and, and uh, hockey and baseball, you know, take over. But when you work for NBA-specific outlets, you gotta you got to hit content. And I'm glad we're getting now sort of a media week instead of a media day to kick yeah. things. And um, we'll have some fresh stuff. We've had a draft. We've had free agency. There have been trades, uh, signings, a lot of uh, suspension or tension or, or – interest in at least uh, Giannis's extension. So, you know, there's there's plenty of fresh stuff here. And um, the games themselves might be on. Uh, if we get to go, we'll be sitting, I think, uh, fairly high up in the stands, mostly empty arenas, and then no opportunity to talk to people in person. So it's kind of a sterile environment. But what we see on TV, I think they'll do as good a job as, as was done in the bubble in, in making it a you know, a comfortable experience for all. We'll see how the virus protocols hold out, uh, trying to play in arenas and travel to cities. Uh, that's a new challenge for the NBA. They did the bubble thing extremely well and got high marks all across the board. Uh, this will be more like the baseball and, and football approach, and we'll see if they can do better. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see how, uh, obviously, the virus is going to impact the season, uh, probably starting a little earlier than they originally thought, but um, with no real prospects of, of fans coming into the arenas, I think that they decided it was just time to get this thing going. So I'm, I'm certainly thankful that I'm going to have basketball to cover and basketball to watch as someone that, uh, that that's, that's what I love to do. That's what we love to do. Uh, I, I am looking forward to getting back over there at some point and hanging out with you, though. And as for today, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, Kane. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, as you guys already would know, you can follow Steve uh, Ashburner on Twitter at AshNBA and also all his work over at NBA.com. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Training camp starting. So we're going to get a chance to talk to, I'm not sure who, but someone over the, overnight here as, as day one of training camp begins. Uh, we'll roll through with the coverage of this show Monday to Friday and of course, Giannis Watch continues. So for Steve Ashburner and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll leave it there. We'll speak to you guys tomorrow.